welcome to Out of the Box Radio with me, your host, Christine Glasdale. Out of the Box Radio is a weekly podcast of audible ear candy dedicated to bringing a fresh perspective on this thing that we call life. And each and every week, we're going to be diving into the topics that matter most with lively conversations on issues such as health, wellness, and transformational healing, all with the goal of creating a better world and becoming a happier human being. I will be your tour guide for this epic adventure, and each and every week we're going to be embarking on a journey with the ultimate goal being transformation to our highest potential. And now, let's get out of the box. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Out of the Box with Christine. I am your host, Christine Blasdale, and today I am so very happy that you tuned in because you are going to learn so much, and um, we're, this is all about transforming lives, and my guest is definitely one of those people who loves to transform lives. Joe Tabanella is a hypnosis and NLP instructor at Hypnosis Motivation Institute, which is the first accredited college for hypnotherapy. In addition to instructing students at HMI, he has been featured on Bravo and Lifetime and is a group facilitator and hypnotherapist at Milestones Ranch Malibu, a dual diagnostics treatment center in Malibu, California. He's also a motivational speaker and has worked with large corporations and individuals to help improve their life goals. Welcome to Out of the Box, Joe Tabanella. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Joe, of course, when I say hypnosis, most of the audience is like, oh, is that somebody that's going to sit there with the, you know, with the, 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 watch, the watch going back and forth and say, you are getting very sleepy. Look into my eyes. <laughs> kind of like Dracula. You're not Dracula, are yeah, you? No, I'm Spingali, though, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a common misconception because people, especially people are afraid of loss of control. They, they're afraid of hypnosis. But what um, they need to realize, what some people, once they learn that hypnosis is actually you being in more control than you've ever been in your life, uh, what people are seeing on the stage so is a combination of people who are actually in hypnosis that want to be in that state. And some people that just pretending they're just playing like like um, a person you know pretending to be a duck but the interesting about the in- interesting thing about hypnosis is that it is a childlike state of being where you're very open to an idea so if you pretend as a child you're a duck you start feeling like a duck an actor actually does hypnosis any good actor understands this principle and they're actually doing hypnosis and again it's a very relaxed state of mind where you're very focused. So think about the body and brain being very relaxed, but you're very focused. And when you're focused and relaxed, you're in a child's state of mind from about zero to nine, meaning whatever you allow in and focus on becomes your internal experience. So if I'm asking you to act like a duck and you want to act like a duck and it would be fun to act like a duck, you'll go into a very relaxed state. So people think they're sleeping, but they're so relaxed, they're so focused on what that person is saying, the no, the hypnotist on stage is saying that they get so absorbed in it that they suddenly lose self-awareness. It's basically the default network in the brain goes into abeyance and the person starts to feel completely, um, let's just say, enveloped in the idea that they're experiencing. 
And so if I'm a duck, I'm not aware that someone's looking at me pretending I'm a duck. I feel like a duck. I am a duck. <laughs> and I become a duck. And it's entertaining. And so for the people who are really suggestible and really want to enjoy the experience, it's a lot of fun. But if someone does not want to be hypnotized, the hypnotist will not bring them up on stage. In fact, the first test they do is look for certain signs of someone being open to suggestion, open to suggestibility. And then they bring them up on stage and do a series of tests to see if they're willing basically to play. And when I say play, I don't necessarily mean pretend. I mean play to such a, to such an extent that you actually allow yourself to believe this experience is happening like a science fiction movie, and then it becomes entertainment. But in self-help, it's a different story. And that's, okay, so that's the difference, right? There's the, there's the, uh, the magic show slash uh, illusionist slash hypnosis show, right? Uh, where, yeah, people are um, uh, turning into chickens and, and, and ducks. <laughs> but then there's the, the, the self-help or the transformational wellness model. And we're going to get into that. But first, um, let's let our listeners know, because I always like to, um, to go back and, and let our listeners know where my guests, where they originate from. Um, I know I could tell by your accent you're from the East Coast, but um, uh, let our listeners know, how did you get into hypnosis and, and NLP? And we'll get into what NLP actually is. But how did you, I mean, did you think of as a little boy, I really want to be a hypnotherapist? <laughs> well, actually, the first thing I got into was uh, understanding the subconscious mind and what is referred to often as the law of attraction. I was about I grew up in Brooklyn in uh, Bensonhurst, the blue collar family. We had no money. And I owed, um, let's just say, one of the neighborhood gentlemen uh, some money. right? <laughs> and uh, I needed about $5,000. I needed to pay off a debt and I needed to buy a car because the car I had got totaled for a different reason. I was 19 growing up in Brooklyn, yet, need I say more. <laughs> and um, I needed 5000 I started praying like a good Catholic boy prays, you know, please God, please God, please God, give me this. I need this 5000 And every day I would get absorbed and enveloped in that idea. I was so... Um, consumed with the number 5,000 and the experience and the, the affirmations of wanting it. And one day I was sitting there and uh, a little voice that showed up is still with me today. I don't know if it's a spirit guide. I don't know if it's my subconscious or as neurologists might call the wise advocate. But a voice showed up and uh, it was an intuitive voice that said, who are you praying to? And I said, uh, God, thank you for sharing. <laughs> and they said, well, let's, let's put it this way. And they always say let's, so it's a group. And they said, let's put it this way. If God was here, would you ask it for $5,000? And being a Catholic, I thought that was strange to say it for God. I thought God was a he, right? I said, would you ask it for 5000 I said, yeah, that's why I'm praying. Now think about it. I said, yeah. And then it was a very firm think about it. So I stopped and considered it because they seemed almost annoyed at that point, whatever. The, and I stopped and I imagined, okay, what is God? And I thought, okay, the all that is, the the underlying essence to everything, the, where everything stems from. Basically, now I realize I was thinking about the field, zero-point energy in the field, the void, the nothingness, where everything comes from. And I imagine the room splitting open in time and space, this splitting open right in front of me, and and this light shows up. And in that moment, I felt like I was everything. I saw the, the person I owed money to. I saw the people people picking the lottery balls. And 
I saw everything and I was everything. And in that moment, I realized there was nothing to be afraid of. If I was everything, what could I want? I became basically what the Buddhists strive for, which is a, a free of attachments and aversions. I no longer needed anything to fulfill me, and I was no longer afraid of anything because I was everything. So what would I need if I was everything, and what would I be afraid of if I was everything? And in that moment, all that was left was a sense of where my focus was without tension, without want, without strain, without uh, fear, which was $5,000. But the feeling in my body was so – I was so filled with gratitude – and ecstasy and freedom, what they call letting go, right? I was so free that that feeling got me out of the, the chair. And suddenly I started walking down the block, not knowing why. The feeling was guiding me. This feeling in my body was this guiding me. And I just happened to walk into a place where I played the lottery every day without any intention to play the lottery because I'd wait for my sign for the day, you know. And I walk in and a woman next to me tells me to play the number. Now, I, at the time when I was praying, I thought ketchup bottles, you know, receipt, license plates were signs from God. When you know, someone almost cut me off on the street. And here's a human being saying, trust me, I've been playing it long enough. And she gave me four numbers to play and to pick for. I didn't think anything of it. And I won $5,000, the money I was thinking about for, for praying for for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I realized there was something there. I'm a very skeptical person. Very logical person, very cynical person sometimes. So I knew that this could have just been, you know, just a luck. But I said to myself, why did this state, when it changed, did my behavior that resulted from the state change create the desired result? And I spent just about every waking moment of every day of the rest of my life trying to figure it out. And I finally did. It took me about, about 15 years to finally figure it out. But I realized I was talking about it. I could, I could have given workshops on it. I, was, uh, I could have written books on it. I knew about it, but my life didn't change. And uh, there's nothing that was changing. And one day it hit me that I was talking about it, but it was, I wasn't assimilating. I wasn't uh, becoming the idea. I was just thinking about it. It was like living up in the neocortex, just as thoughts and ideas. So I, I, one day I made a decision to spend three months, I committed to spending three months to, de- to, I made a decision. I was going to decide that I was going to find out. I was going to find out if this is actually just some defense mechanism to deal with the fact that life stinks, you know, and we're just trying to hope that we have some kind of control over it. Or that if you put your awareness on what you want in a certain way and you do something in a certain way, in a certain manner, that we are much more powerful than we could possibly imagine. And after three months, I realized, thank God I did it because after three months, everything I ever wanted just started showing up. Everything. It happened for two years. I was so blown away that I spent more time teaching people what I did than I was even enjoying what I was creating in my life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the idea... And this was the this was basically the yeah the law of attraction before the secret or the law yeah. of attraction was so how did you know when was that moment in time where you that light bulb went off and you said oh my god this is this is the truth of of actually of who we are when was that moment do you remember well the 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 the, the physical experience was when I t- committed for three months but the the conceptual idea the uh, understanding happened one day when 
I um, it was just real logic and reason, like what worked, you know, based on everything I read, uh, Joseph Murphy's uh, Power of the Subconscious Mind, uh, Neville Goddard, all these uh, new thought thing, you know, uh, pioneers, and even those, it's a pretty much an old thought. But in the in the um, the twentieth century, there were these uh, people talking about the same principles. But when I realized, um, it hit me that in order to be anything, you have to literally be the consciousness of it. But that means your cells have to be it. And and that and that uh, one moment, I realized. That's what I need to do. But it was still, like I said, exciting. But I never really, I realized I was being driven by dopamine. And dopamine is really a chemistry of excitement and hope. But it's not reward, It's not having. It's a feeling of wanting. And that's why I kept reading different books and finding different videos. And, and I was so obsessed. And I realized a lot of my students and a lot of people come to my workshops, they have that energy that drives them. But the actual ap- application of it is the opposite. It's actually slowing down and receiving, not being in a wanting. Exactly. This is something that I think, um, let's drive this point home because so many of us in our day to day, we want, we want, we need, right. I, I, I want um, a happy, healthy relationship. I want to lose uh, 10 or 15 pounds and feel good in my body. I, uh, I want that, uh, either that career that is going to make me feel fulfilled or my create my own business. I want, I want, I want. So then when the secret and the law of attraction and all of that um, came to the consciousness of people, you know, through the movie and, and all of that and books and books and books. <laughs> and more books. Uh, um, there is a disconnect, isn't there? There is that disconnect because we're still in this wanting phase. If you can, let our listeners um, in on this whole idea of the want as opposed to, as opposed to? <laughs> That's a great question. Okay, so wanting, there's two types of wanting. There's the wanting that comes from the animal in us, the, the want to change something in the physical world. And that's a natural want. If we're thirsty, there's a problem and we want water. If we're hungry, we want food because there's a problem. And it, it comes from needing something in the physical world. And so it's the body needing something either because it, it likes the idea or there's a problem and it thinks what it needs is going to fix the problem. But there's a different a creative want. There's a difference. What happens is when we when someone wants to create like a musician or an artist or someone building a skyscraper or a chair even, you have to have a feeling of having the internal experience of what it is and falling in love with it before you even want to want it physically. What most people are doing is holding patterns of unprocessed memories of being rejected, for example, not being good enough, not being important, feeling shunned. Whatever the pattern they're holding is, they're holding on to unprocessed emotions. And what happens is when someone holds on to unprocessed emotions, there's a discomfort in the body like hunger or thirst. So the body thinks, oh, we're in a fight-flight state here. There's a problem here. We need a solution, and the solution is... Uh, um, search for in the external world. So we try to get that person. We try to manipulate our environment. It's a way of uh, forcing things to happen. And you can get successful that way. There are many people who are successful that way, but they're always terrified of losing it. Right. Right. And once you understand that whatever you want, I want you to think about anything you want right now, when it shows up, it's only going to be really light waves hitting your eyes, right? Sound waves, pressure waves hitting your ears, Pressure waves hitting your body. That's it. 
the experience of it will be internal. Well, the internal experience, you don't have to wait until it's external. In fact, the external reality has nothing to do with it. We know this because people can have someone say, I love you and not believe it, not feel it. Someone can have success and be terrified of not winning that award next year or before the, the night's over. It could be terrible. So you can have something. Let's put it this way. We all know someone who, uh, who including ourselves, who have um, had had something legally in proximity. They actually owned it, but they were terrified of losing it. So do you really have it? <laughs> if you're terrified of losing your health, if you're terrified of losing that spouse, if your uh, relationship, you're terrified of losing that, uh, that prestige or that money, do you really have it if you're in a constant state of ter- being terrified of losing it? And conversely, we all know someone, including ourselves, that had something internally. We just had it. We just knew it was going to happen. And that's when it just seems to show up. And there was a reason for this. See, I I see myself as a liaison, like an ambassador. There are two types of successful people in the world. There are people who are successfully using the law of attraction, like myself, that I finally figured out. That took me years to figure it out, that I wasn't using it. I wasn't using it correctly. And then there are the go-getters. You know, work hard, just, you know, take action. And they and the go-getters really get annoyed with the law of attraction <laughs> people, right? Because they think they're lazy, right? They think they're not taking enough action. They think they're, you know, they call them magical thinkers. They, they, unicorns. Unicorns. Because they're just visualizing and looking at their vision boards and nothing's happening. And they're saying, make it happen. But there's an interesting point to hear to this because they're, they're 50%, I would say, about 50%. Uh, accurate, meaning the law of attraction people are not taking enough action. But the go-getters, what they're doing is not giving credit to those moments that happen, those serendipitous events, the moments, the chance meeting, the call you get out of nowhere, the thing that happens that has nothing to do with any action you took. And, and so they're not taking enough they're not giving enough credit to something else that's happening in the collective unconscious in their subconscious mind actions that are being being taken that have nothing to do with their conscious decision to take an action and the law of attraction people they are not taking enough responsibility for the fact that they have to engage in the process of trial and error to get somewhere and that's going to be uncomfortable if they view what's happening through a filter of belief systems. So what do they both have in common? Well, what they both have in common is intention and desire. They both have an image that they fall in love with and really want, right? Well, let's look at a baby. A baby is the go-getter and the law of attraction. So the baby sees what it wants, whether it be speaking English, saying a word, water, or walking. It sees what it wants. It falls in love with it. It actually experiences it. We know on on many levels the body and brain is actually experiencing what you mentally rehearse, right? And so it's experiencing it as if it's happening now. Now the body and brain does the wanting. It's like I found that when you recognize there's a difference between you, the consciousness, the right to put your awareness on something, right? And the body and brain's job, which is to catch up to you through feedback and pressure. When you realize that, you realize, oh, that's what the baby's doing. It's holding an intention. It doesn't care about who's looking. It doesn't care about how many times the baby falls. It doesn't care about how uncomfortable that baby is. And at one, at some point, the baby judges. The baby judges, or we as children, start judging that emotion. 
Because any time you put your awareness on something in, let's just call it the astral plane or a place that in the field of possibilities, any time you put your awareness on it and you fall in love with it, if it doesn't exist in the world, something has to happen in the world. Pressure has to change, right, in order for something to exist. The muscle has to grow. A muscle has to stretch. Neurosynapses have to form to learn calculus or math. Or if you're juggling, you need the motor cortex needs to start wiring to your, your, you know, your, um, your ability to not only focus and balance but juggle. So all this stuff needs to happen, and that creates pressure like a seed becoming a tree. As soon as we start paying attention to the pressure and deciding that the pressure meant I can't continue to hold my awareness on what I want and love it while my body's getting uncomfortable and we stop it, then we, we kind of we're afraid of the things we really want because as soon as we think about them, it creates pressure. And some people call it anxiety, but it's your body saying, if you really want that in the physical world, your body and brain is going to have to learn a lot of things, whether a muscle has to grow or brain has to think or insights, right? So it's easy to understand in a physical way. But I found that emotions are the same thing. It's just pressure. It's your body learning insights or getting deeper wisdom or uh, understandings. It's your uh, spiritual pressure as well is there too. So as soon as you judge pressure as the problem, then you are staying, you're living in that moment that caused the pressure and you're stuck there. Always with this fantasy of what you want rather than being what you want in consciousness and breathing through the pressure like you do a muscle stretch until the muscle catches up to your vision and your intention. But if you pay attention to that muscle stretch and you're not even putting your focus on where you're going, there's nothing there. You just stop. You won't come back to the gym tomorrow to stretch because it's too painful. And if you give it a belief, this means I'm just not flexible. This means there's something wrong with me. This means I'm not good at this. This means it's hard. It's too hard to do. This means what if it will never happen? Then you will stop yourself from being what you want to be. And that's how you become a a law of attraction person and a go-getter at the same time. And something that you said that that, um, strikes a chord with a lot of people because – they can say, well, of course I, I, I want to make more money. Of course I want to have a happy, healthy relationship. Of course I want to be fit. But there is a, there's a disconnect between what they say they want consciously, right, and then what goes on in the back. Is it unconscious or subconscious? It's is, either or. Okay. So, so how, do we, how do we get to that unconscious space? Because – Somebody could be saying, I want, I really do, I want a happy, healthy relationship. But there's something going on in the back room right. that is making sure that's not going to happen. <laughs> right? right, right. <laughs> exactly. So around uh, about nine years old, what starts to form is the critical faculty in the brain. And that starts to stop new information uh, entering into the patterns in the body and brain. So, for example, if um, I want mom or dad to love me. Right. And I and I have an internal experience of what that feels like. I love it. And my body wants to catch up by going, dad, dad, mama, you know, come here. And they shun me or push me away or even yell at me and leave me. If I hold that moment. Rather than process it and learn from it and I give it a belief system, meaning I decide a belief system is nothing more than a decision we make, which is I decide I'm not lovable. Right. In that moment, I'm freezing that pattern of, of um, abandonment as far as an image. But it's not an image. It's a, it's a pattern in my body brain. 
right, ultimately. And it's an energy in motion, energy that's now stuck. So an impermanent moment that was supposed to pass and I was supposed to learn from. Some people are afraid of intimacy. Some people have, you know, PTSD. Some people have a midlife crisis. Some people have diarrhea. You know what I mean? If I give it a meaning that this one moment means it, I have literally frozen this moment in my subconscious mind as a generalization of life or belief system. Now, that has a certain pattern. That has a certain image. And then I learn how to cope with it. I'll never get too close. I'll never allow anyone in. I won't ever trust anyone again. But now I'm uncomfortable, aren't I? So I want to release this discomfort. This is where addictions start or coping mechanisms that really don't or maladaptive uh, adaptive coping mechanisms, which is now that I'm feeling this feeling, right, now i got to get rid of this feeling. So if I learn that having sex with somebody releases it because I have an intense orgasm, for example, or the oxytocin of just someone hugging us for a moment and we feel the oxytocin in our, in our bodies and our brain and we just feel so good. The brain says, whenever I feel this, I do that. So what's the solution? What happens is anytime we're met with the opposite belief system, it creates dissonance, cognitive dissonance. The body actually gets uncomfortable. So what we have to recognize is when that's happening, when we say what we want is this, and we're met with something that's in conflict with it, what we want to look at is whatever we're experiencing inside, these are thoughts, self-talk, feelings, and images, that they're not real. They're just a moment that's trying to be processed. A memory? A memory pattern, yeah. An emotion that's never really processed. A memory is really an emotion that's not really processed. And then the brain kind of comes up with a memory based on the patterns of light that was hitting in the sound waves, right? So it just holds an idea in the, in the structure of the body. So what, what we have to do is recognize that the emotions we're holding were supposed to come and go. And in consciousness, meaning your awareness, and I'll get into an exercise to help you really understand this in a moment, that in awareness, um, if you put your awareness on actually being loved and adored, as soon as you start doing that, the brain's going to say, what about this feeling and this memory and this possibility that you, consciousness, you told me at one point cannot be. You said it was the end of the world and you said you couldn't process it because it had a meaning and you can never really have that experience in the external world. You told me to stop this moment. Once you say to it, am I talking about life? Life is impermanent. You were a moment. These emotions were a moment. It's impermanent for a reason. It's like birds going through the sky. They come, they go. Even the thing I want can never show up in the physical world forever (laughs) because it's impermanent, the physical electrons. But my inner world, I can be in love with chemistry and an intention. And you're going back now to the childhood's, uh, the child creative, um, the, the child's creative uh, consciousness, which is I can hold the feeling what I want. I can feel the desire I want and know that every moment of discomfort is actually me learning how to adjust communication, uh, patience. Sometimes you just got to kick ass, you know, whatever it is, you're learning how to hold what you want with what what is there. And that's where hypnosis comes in. Hypnosis is about getting yourself to that state of childlike um, state where you're just the observer and you're watching things come and go and where you can experience it. And so it's really just relaxing the body, but brain as well. So you can notice these as not real 
They're not real, these patterns. They're just moments that were passing through you like birds through the sky or comets through space. And your job is not to hold on to those, which are <laughs> impermanent, but to stop placing your awareness, just your awareness on what you want instead. And this is a process. This is not magic. Anyone tells you that you can do this in 10, ten seconds, run from them. Because this is a process. The good news is if you're committed to this process, I've only seen it take about 21 days before it becomes a really great habit and three months before it changes how you feel about yourself in the world. But once you gently place your awareness on what you want, while accepting that the moment that your brain is processing was supposed to leave, Mm -hmm. you start getting insight into how to create the physical version of that which you want. And I'll give you a a little um, three, there's these three questions that I came up with that cut right through almost every process I've ever learned, which is, if you're triggered by somebody, the first question you ask yourself is, does this have a right to be? And oftentimes you have someone say, no, it doesn't. So you have to reframe it. You have to say, do these electrons in the physical world have a right to be, come and go? Mm-hmm. And that moment you realize you've been holding something, thinking that by judging it, you can change it. Right. Right. So then the second question is, now that I've accepted that this has a right to be, do I have a, does my body have a right to process all of these emotions without my tension, without me holding my breath, without me giving it meaning? And so what you want to do is see yourself as porous, as in the emotions are actually your body's way of responding to the situation. They are not the situation. They are your body's response to the situation so it can come up with learnings and insights or behaviors to actually get you what you want. So to judge your body's response, you're actually not only not getting anywhere, but you're holding that memory pattern in your consciousness. So the second question is, does my right body have a right to process this no matter how much energy is there? Because the greater the conflict the greater that juxtaposition of what you want and what is, the more energy needs to change, right? If you have a seed and oak tree, there's going to be a lot more pressure than a seed and a you know, Brussels sprout or something, right? So once you realize that what you're actually feeling is your body processing that this seed doesn't match what your consciousness loves and what you deserve to have in consciousness that lives in an invisible world but doesn't live in the physical world. So as you breathe and you see the energy is actually helping you, while you gently place your awareness on question number three, what is it I want? Not one day, right now, to put my awareness on what I want and start to soak it in. And when you first do this, if there's a lot of emotional pain, you're not going to feel anything. But just the beginning of this, by just looking for just an image, just a soft touch, just a feeling in your heart of receiving what you want, you start to realize what you really want is that inside you. And then the physical world will match it. It's a mirror. It's an echo of what's happening inside. Does that make sense? Oh, that yeah. Repeat that because that's. I think that's really important. The physical world is an echo or a mirror of what's really happening inside. Because once we hold something, then the body and brain, through feedback and pressure and learning, wants to create it physically. But you can't create a chair just by putting wood together. You have to have the experience. You can't play the music unless you hear it in your head first. There's some, um, there's some, I guess, symbiotic flows with where you, uh, you can um, be in the moment and at the same time be open to creativity and be in the flow. And that's, that's a reasonable way to live. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about flow as far as moving towards a goal and in something you would prefer in life. But funny enough, at one point, they're the same. When you yeah. really get out of your way, your flow is what you want. And what you want is what you, what's happening right now. 
and we just fight it all the time. Uh, <laughs> folks, if you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Out of the Box with Christine, and my guest is Joe Tabanella, who is a uh, hypnosis and NLP instructor at Hypnosis Motivation Institute. And, of course, he's been featured on Bravo, Lifetime, and also um, he is a group facilitator and hypnotherapist at Milestones Ranch Malibu, which is a dual diagnostics treatment center in Malibu, California. He um, is a motivational speaker as well, and we're going to give out your website too um it's is it tab hypnosis gpsmyfuture.com it's gpsmyfuture.com right yes gps gpsmyfuture.com what you have will get get them there as well it's easier to remember yeah and of course we are talking about all things that are of interest to me (laughs) because this isn't no this is a really really important um I don't know if, if well, yeah, you know this because this is what happens to you as well, I'm sure. When, what I do is I put out into the world what it is that I am supposed to be exposed to, what it is I'm supposed to learn, what it is that I'm supposed to bring because I feel like I'm a conduit, right? I'm a conduit with the show bringing to the listeners what it is they're supposed to be hearing. And how I found out about you was, was that kind of thing. A friend mm. of a friend who said you'd get, you need to, and you plopped in front of my. It's like that uh, lottery ticket. Yeah, it right. Just shows up because you're exactly what was needed at this point. And when we're talking about the conscious and the unconscious mind, what our conscious desires are, and then what's holding us back unconsciously. Um, so much of that, and you touched on it a little bit. So much of that deals with what happened to us when we were children. And that was the formative years, right? That is also... Yes. It's not so much what happened, it's how we uh, experience what happened and what decisions we made because of what happened um, and what emotions we did not process and learn from, what, se- what moments that we did not learn from that get keeps the pattern stuck. Right. And the story? Is it the, the story that we... Because the story gets wilder and wilder the more... Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, because what happens is we start to live a series of... Um, self-fulfilling prophecies and you will see this happen all the time which is someone will walk do a like I'll have a, um, a client doing public speaking for example and um, he, he called me up uh, and said you're not gonna believe what happened I said what well, some guy was looking at me and he had this frown on his face right and I knew he hated me <laughs> He reminded me of my brother, right? I knew he hated me, but I did what you said. I I disengaged from that pattern and felt sorry for him if he was angry at something and wanted to help him. And just consider that he might something else might be happening here. He might be learning. He might be thinking about a memory that he you know he doesn't like. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. In the past, he, he well he met the guy after the the seminar after the talk after the talk and he um he met him and then he found that the guy was enthralled with what he was saying yeah. but he realized that if he didn't know that he was projecting and predicting his reality unconsciously that he would have not only been certain that that person didn't like him but he would have created behavior to f- make sure he enforced it he would have been rude to the person and then the person would have been upset and he would have said i told you the guy didn't like me but you were rude to me yeah but you were rude when you walked in no i wasn't i was just listening you had a frown on your face no i i didn't no i wasn't did i you know right. but once he realized it was that the brain is a pattern recognition device we are not really seeing anything we are basically predicting we're predicting 
what our body and brain remembers from yesterday. Without a new prediction, it won't see anything. That's why people can win the lottery and go broke because it only predicts that money's a problem. We never have any money. And so it keeps looking to fulfill those predictions unless you give it, you fool it into a new experience. Now, when I say this to some people, at first they're a little bit taken back. They're, what am I going to fool my brain into an experience that doesn't exist? But what we don't realize is we do that all the time. It's called creativity. It's called I, I'm a gymnast. I can do this move. And now what would it be like if I did that? And so you imagine the experience before it even starts. And then you're able to do it because your brain got the memo that you wanted something that di- it didn't know how to do. You got out of its way, which is key. Yeah. You didn't judge that it couldn't do it right away. You didn't judge the pressure, the discomfort. You didn't say I was stupid. You just kept going until your brain and body match what your intention already was in love with. Right. And so when when that happens, that's what we've done. We we have tricked the brain into an experience that it now wants again. It's not like it wants to create. It wants to recreate what it already experienced. And this is why it's imperative that we don't, when we go into hypnosis or just a relaxed state of mind and body, that we are enjoying the results we want in the future now. If we're not enjoying them and appreciating our right to be loved, what is that? Just chemistry in the body. That's all it is. It's oxytocin. It's serotonin. It's why can't we put our awareness on a pattern? Because the brain made a decision years ago. We made the decision. You're not allowed to feel that good. You have to feel shame or hurt or sadness. How about I just change my behavior rather than change my essence? So, so the example of this is if I'm really confident and that's, the, that's consciousness, right? It knows it can do anything. In my mind, for, for, my, for me personally, depression was – my inability or lack of willingness that came from lack of understanding to put my consciousness on anything I wanted and fall in love with it, regardless of whether my body or brain was able to do in that moment. When I realized that that was really what I was seeking, that right first, and then the secondary joy is through feedback, through trial and error, through discomfort, through pressure, the physical body will catch up. Then that's a secondary joy of creation where you see it physically manifest. But that's not your job. That's the body and brain's job. Your job, our job, is to put the consciousness on what it is we want, fall in love with it, and realize what we really want is a state of being. Yes. We want to feel loved. Well, if I fe- I'd rather feel loved with all the chemistry in my being and be rejected externally than to be loved externally and be filled with hurt, sadness, fear, and, and anger. <laughs> and w- when you turn that on its head, you realize that's the creative way of being in the world. You turn that on its head where you say, I'd rather feel this than have that. Then your body says, well, I want that. You say, well, you can go have it. We'll go get it. But I'm not going to leave this. I'm not going to leave myself and my essence for some promise outside of me. From it, I will beg, borrow, and steal to get what I need, but never at the expense of it. And then what happens, you, you really can feel the future being pulled to you and you to it. You can literally feel a pressure pulling. It's called positive structural tension that makes you want to create physically what you're already in love with. Right, right. That is the law of attraction yeah. on, on steroids. And steroids, yeah. Right. Because so much of what we do is we, we seek our happiness outside of ourselves or we think that once we get that job, once we get that person, once we lose that weight – once something else happens, then we'll be happy. 
right? Yes. And, and what you're saying is instead of having that happiness on the external, it needs to generate from the inside. Yes. But that's where most people have – that's where they have – those thoughts. Yes. Because what they're really wanting is to get rid of an uncomfortable emotion in their body. And they don't realize you don't get rid of uncomfortable emotions by wanting. You get rid of them by accepting them and receiving. <laughs> so the Buddhists call it like attachment and aversion, right? I, I don't like this and I always need that. So it's a perpetual feeling of suffering, yes? Because I never like this and I always want that. That's suffering in a oh, nutshell. It's thirst, right? What I have found is if you reverse it and you go from rather than aversion, you go to acceptance. You just kind of watch everything become the watcher. And rather than attachment, you go to receiving. Then you get to have everything in your consciousness, in your body. Then that starts to create a pressure, a pulling. And it says, how do I get this physically? And that's fun. That's, you don't care if it takes 80 years. Yeah. Because if you have the right to feel that good – that you would stay in this consciousness all day, you don't mind what it takes to get there unless you have a belief system that stops you from realizing that the brain and body is an ad adapts anything and can learn anything if you keep the intent. We went to the moon. You know, if you keep the intention long enough, you can find ways to create anything. But you can't be filled with angst. Angst is only good if it's 10, 20 percent because it gets you get moving and it makes you do, um, you know, things that you wouldn't normally want to do. But once you start moving and you realize what you don't want, you have to fall in love with what you do want. Like when I teach my students, uh, I'll tell them that, you know, you'll, you'll see where someone's stuck in an emotional charge or of unprocessed belief systems or, or I should say um, limiting beliefs or unprocessed emotions when they come in and they say – I want a relationship. And, and I say, what, what is it? <laughs> Do they say it like that? Yeah, I want a relationship. I say, what does it look like? And they'll say, I'm tired of being alone. Well, the subconscious mind wants to create what's in it, right? And so it wants to move towards the image that you have. And I don't see any positive image. No, because I, it's, it's, it's an it's, away from. It's repeating that I'm alone. Yes. And it's an image that is stuck in the mind of being alone that they're trying to run from. So... <laughs> then I'll say, no, I know, I get that, but what do you want? You know, I'm tired of the dating scene. So all we have is that we're giving a brain that only it's basically, as far as th this goes, th this paradigm goes, there's only two functions uh, that's, that's happening as far as uh, behavior. It's automated behavior, just doing what it's supposed to do, or intention. And intention is this exists, I would like that. When you go in, in, out of automation and into intention, you literally have to build the experience you want for the brain to move towards, especially if it's never experienced it before. Right. And so you'll hear it all the time. I don't, I don't want to be broke. I'm tired of living hand to mouth. Great. What would it feel like? What would it look like if you were? And just that very thought threatens them. They get very uncomfortable because the, the, as soon as they put their awareness on that, all the emotions that, and beliefs that told them they couldn't have that, not just in the world, even inside, mm -hmm. that they couldn't have it inside, they start to come up. The, these emotions start to come up, and then they get even more impatient or worried, not realizing that the emotions are coming up to leave so your brain can figure out how to get closer to that goal. But as soon as they trap those emotions and tighten down on it, like in electromyography, when you're, you, you can see the unconscious tension in the muscles, when someone's thinking about what they want, their body's so filled with tension 
And that's fine if you already have it and there's a positive structural tension, but usually the tension is caused by unprocessed emotions coming up to be released. And how do we stop an emotion? We tense our bodies. And what about the with these emotions coming up yeah. and you know i don't know i mean with the whole thing with i don't know if, if it has something to do with planets and mercury and retrograde <laughs> and all that other stuff or if it's just our consciousness in general as human beings but there's a lot of stuff coming up for people yeah uh, maybe it's because it's uh end of the year beginning of a new year i don't know but there's a lot of stuff coming up for people and what if if you could give some guidance on this what do you do when those when when someone is triggered? Right. What kind of words of wisdom can you give to them to help them get through? Because these are emotions that co- coming up in people left and right. Right. Well, first, let me address the first thing you said, which is there is something happening on the planet. I can talk to someone post detox, nineteen years old, and they really understand certain concepts that people my age usually don't. At, I'm at fifty three, and they don't really uh, understand it. I, I might as well be uh, speaking Mandarin to you know people my age, uh, but the kids today are getting this. They, there's a, an awareness about the fact that you can put your awareness on something, and that's you. And then suddenly things show up. Yes, you take action, but just like everything, it, it, everything else, it's not conscious action. Mm-hmm. You you just fell in love with an idea or thought about an idea and felt like it was possible and then something things just started to happen. So th- there's an awakening happening on the planet, right? It's uh, for sure. Um, but as far as things coming up, what happens is you, you, the first thing you want to do is tr- I know <laughs> this is very difficult to to wrap your mind around, but once people get it, they they realize how important it is. First thing is to recognize that all that has happened, especially if it's an emotion. We're not talking about something physical. Someone grabs me and does so. That's a boundary. That's just a physical thing I don't like. That's different from my emotions, right? When I get triggered, I'll just say what I do. When I get triggered. Somebody's uh, that I love is rude to me or, or, or someone criticizes me. And the first thing I do is realize that the feelings I'm feeling are coming up because there's a pattern that's stuck in my mind around the first pattern like that that happened. My brother Alan, uh, you know, the neighbor, my, who knows, and somebody who criticized me as a, as a child. So the first thing that happens is my body is filled with the memory of that arousal response. So it goes into an hyperarousal response or fight flight, right? So my body is basically saying this is not good because everyone wants to be loved and included in a group, in a tribe, and, and appreciated and loved. So your body is saying there is a problem here. What you want on a deeper level, because it knows what you want, and what is happening is in conflict. That's the first thing you want to realize is that your body is processing the fact that this is happening. And the reason usually it happens, not all the time, but the reason it usually is happening is because it's, it's coming up to bring up a belief system. In fact, the, the more work you're doing yourself, the more the subconscious mind goes, what about this feeling? What about that emotion? Remember that? When yeah. that happened last yeah, time yeah, yeah. when you were 10 years old? Yeah, yeah, And so it comes up in order to be released. So the first thing you want to see it as motions are trying to leave. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's not the problem. It's actually the solution. But you want to catch the belief that what this means. Mm-hmm. All it means is what you want and what is is in conflict. That's it. That's the first thing you want to do. And you want to see the energy passing through you. Then you want to gently put your awareness on what you want. And some people are so 
far away from what they want because of that belief system that they can't even put their awareness on it, that that sometimes is very difficult at first to say, what do I want? So let's say it's a, 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 a friend who's yelling at you or a relationship. So what do I want? And you imagine you're both hugging each other. So while your body's processing the physical what is, which is impermanent, by the way, and was supposed to be impermanent when it first started as a child, now you're making it impermanent again by allowing it to flow. While it's flowing, this emotion, you put your awareness on what you say you want. And you start feeling that on some level of awareness and loving it while you're realizing what's happening is in conflict. And you let the body process the physical world while you put your awareness like a captain of, the, of a ship, right? You're, you're, you know where you're going and you're aware of everything at the same time that's happening. And then the people in the engine room do the rest, right? right? As soon as you decide that this means something and you stop the emotion by tensing your muscles, by thinking the emotion is bad, by wanting the emotion to go away, you have frozen that moment again in the belief system in order to be created. But when you do those three questions, does this have a right to be? Does my body have a right to process it? Well, why is it processing this? Because it doesn't match what I want. And what you want is to, 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 um, to be in love, to have someone love and adore you. And that's a different chemistry. When the brain said, that's not going to happen, you say, I'm not trying to make anything happen. I'm aware of what I want, and I'm aware that the, the physical world's not matching it right now. Now, here's the caveat to this. It's more of a pitfall, but it, it, it's, it's the brain has learned that it gets a lot of mileage out of certain coping mechanisms. So if I'm going to be cold to you, that might be more enticing. It's like an addict who rather go for the heroin than to feel the feelings. So I, if I am going to punish you by pulling away my love, being um, cold or passive aggressive, or if I'm going to um, blow up and scare the hell out of you, or if I'm just going to leave and leave you alone and now you'll see, then the brain is going to beg for that behavior. Because it's already predicting the behavior before you even get triggered, unfortunately. So is it like addicted to that kind of Yes, thing? exactly. It's addicted it to feels, the behavior. It, it, it gives a, like a rush? Yeah. It gives a ru rush and it knows that eventually your stress response will be released. They'll go back to homeostasis if you do all this. Oh. You follow? So, for example, if, I'm, if, I'm, um, if I found that the only time people loved me is if I had sex with them as a child, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned. And then someone starts pulling away from me and, and suddenly I flirt with them and I see them come back. Then my brain says, this is the only way you can stop people from leaving. If I, if I learn that, that the only way someone will give me what I want if I th throw a tantrum, then my brain goes, we need that tantrum to go back to what that relaxed state of being. Because as soon as the nervous system is triggered, it wants the release eventually. It wants to find out, what do we, there must be a problem. What do we do to bring it back to homeostasis? And so whatever it learned, an orgasm will do it. Sometimes shopping will increase it because it's dopamine driven. It's not, but there's a sense of a satisfaction sometimes that's temporary. Food will do it. Drink alcohol will do it. Opiates. So anytime the body has learned, this is how we get back to no problem. There's no tiger. I'm not thirsty, I'm not hungry, then it will do anything it takes to get back to that state. And whatever it learned worked, it will do. It will, it will. in fact, I, I did an experiment on myself and I, I was blown away by it. I was, I was um, at the rehab, sometimes I'd do groups and then I'd come down and there'd be some, sometimes there, in the old days, we used to have a lot of uh, cookies out. 
And uh, I would go down and just have like seven cookies. And I'm saying, what's going on here? I realized that my body was feeling whatever emotion because of the group, the empathy for people, feeling the suffering, not being able to maybe process it all. And my body said, grab the cookies, because that's how my mother calmed me with sweets. So one day I made a decision. I was going to interrupt that pattern. I was going to use the same energy to do something else that would give me some benefit. And I thought about what can give me benefit that I can use that energy to, to move, you know, help me move towards. And I thought push-ups, you know, it's healthy, you know, it's strong, be in shape. And so the next day I, I was in the group and I ran down to the, um, to the kitchen. And sure enough, I ate seven cookies. Well, not seven, maybe three or four cookies, right? And I thought to myself, what happened there? And I realized I had to tell the brain... Because the brain had no experience that no baseline, no experience, no prior experience that says if you feel this emotion, this other behavior will release it. It just knew that the only way to release that specific emotion is sweet or sweets, right? So I said to the brain, we're going to have the cookie. I guarantee you we're good. And I can actually hear that part of my mind saying, are you sure? Right? And I said, yeah, but I'm going to do these push-ups first, and then I'll come back and have the cookie. But when I did the push-ups, I knew, I knew enough to know that I had to be so absorbed in the push-ups, I wasn't thinking about the cookie. Right? So after I did 50 push-ups, whatever it was, and I was exhausted, I got up and I went over to the cookies, and I had no desire to eat the cookies because I went from sympathetic arousal to parasympathetic. Basically, from high arousal, I need something. To low arousal, I'm good. Right. And, and I had to do that, funny enough, 13 times. Every time I had to trick the brain and say about 13 days in a row, I had to say, no, I'm going to do push-ups first. No, no. At the 13th day, I can feel my brain now. It has two options to deal with stress. It was like, who push-ups. Or cookies. This is what we call a cross addiction where someone uses a different activity that might be better than the old, but it's still an addiction, meaning I'm trying to cope with this uncomfortable feeling by doing something. And some addictions are better than others, right? So then after, after four or five days of that, I no longer had an option. My brain just knew that that's the only option. So I started literally craving a push-up like I was craving cookies. The dopamine levels were driving, riding, uh, uh, lifting in my brain, and the norepinephrine was focusing on that other room to do push-ups as if it was a cookie. It was fascinating. And, and that is, was that because it was repeated? Yes, it was repeated. And, I, and also I got the same benefit, the release of discomfort. Uh. Anytime we release discomfort, like getting off an airplane, it reinforces the behavior to have that air, you know, phobic response. Because if you get off the airplane, you're relaxed. The brain said you must have done something good because we're relaxed. And then it will reinforce it every time even more, especially if you're uncomfortable. And then as a result, you're relaxed. Wow, that that's actually very very cool because it's you're re, you're retraining that response in you, yeah. and um, and you were able to notice it right away because you were actually doing it on a repeated basis. Are you are you still thinking about the cookies? <laughs> um, yeah, because I never do it there now after a group, but I will. My brain is the go-to now because I have no real vices anymore. So my, the, my go-to is. If I'm stressed and I, and, my, and I haven't processed that emotion, I will go to the chocolate or the cookie. But it happens, you know, probably one hundredth of the time as it did before. And that's all because, too, like also when we were little, when we were, for me, when I was hurt, when I was sick, 
Uh, my grandmother, it was always something. It was sweet, right? It was, um, it was, it was always a McDonald's shake for me. Mm. Grandma would go get a chocolate, chocolate McDonald's shake. If I, if I, if I scraped my knee or if something happened and I was going to get in trouble or <laughs> whatever it was, grandma always made it better with that chocolate shake. <laughs> but I, I, I don't do those now. I'm, I'm glad I don't do those now. Well, you do your work. I do my work. Yeah. Joe Tabanella has been my guest this hour, and I am so, so excited that we able to bring you to our listeners. Joe, if, you want, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, how, how can they get in touch with you best? Um, you can go to gpsmyfuture.com and subscribe. We'll um, send you an email, and you can contact me through that email. I answer every email. And my number, actually, you can call me at 323-377-2531. And also, so for people that are living outside of the Los Angeles area, are they able to reach you for, for possible hi- hypnosis or some sessions, sure, private can, sessions? Yeah, sure, we can do Skype sessions or Zoom sessions on, um, on, 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 on the Internet. Yeah, Beautiful. Awesome. Joe Tabanella, thank you so very much for being on. It's such a pleasure to be here, Christine. Thanks a lot. You're great. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I want to remind you, as always, you can take the show on YouTube and share it easily because that's an easy way to do it on YouTube. But you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, a speaker, Stitcher, all of those wonderful uh, podcast applications. Until next time, as always, remember to think outside the box. Bye.